The Tablet Show, Episode 107, with guest John Breslin. Recorded live Monday, October 7th, 2013. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to John Breslin about startups in Ireland. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support, online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, Galway! It's The Tablet Show! Well, I wouldn't want to meet them in an alley in a crowd in a dark night. Woo! Oh, my God. What a great guy. I love Ireland. You guys rock. Yeah! So happy to be here. What a beautiful place. A beautiful town. Yeah, it's been, it was a bit of a trek to get here, but I love it. It's, yeah. uh, it's green. And I understand where we were standing today here at GMIT, we were looking out over the water at the hills on the other side, and it was explained to me that if you can see those hills, it's going to rain. And if you can't see those hills, it is raining. It is raining. That's the weather forecast for the day. That's gal, because I'm from Vancouver, and and we're used to that. We talk about it only raining twice this week, once for three days and once for four. All right, we're ready. All right, well then let's jump right into it with a segment that we call Better Know Framework. Awesome. What do you got, buddy? Well, um, I know we've talked about this before on the show, but we're in front of a bunch of students and they uh, are uh, interested in programming the web. So I thought I would do them a favor and tell them about the reactive extensions for JavaScript. Ooh, love it. And so the reactive extensions, so you all know in JavaScript that you can handle events like when the mouse moves, right? When the mouse moves, you can handle that as an event. Maybe you can get the coordinates X and Y and then do something with those coordinates. Well, what if you could just get those coordinates as an array of objects and just say when X is greater than 100 and Y is greater than 100 and when X is less than 500 and Y is less than 500, just get me those objects. What do you think of that? Just get me a collection instead of handling an event. And then I can iterate over that collection and see what I want. Okay, it's kind of a silly example with the mouse, but it isn't really. The idea is that with reactive extensions, instead of sprinkling your code all throughout event handlers, you can keep it in one place and then just grab that event data as data and aggregate it all in one place. Mm, yeah, nice. Nice stuff. Very scalable. That's what, I, you know, our conversation with reactive extensions have really come across with a, hey, you know, as the volume of data goes up, things are going to keep working. It's not going to get buried as quickly. Right. And now you add uh, asynchronicity to that and yep. you add stuff like link to JavaScript where you can do queries against it, you know, with select statements. Nice, nice, nice stuff. So if cool. you go to tinyurl.com slash JS reactive, and most of the good ones were taken, like RxJS, or if right. you just search for RxJS, you'll find it. But tinyurl.com slash JS Reactive, you'll find the reactive extensions for JavaScript. Beautiful. Know it, learn it, love it. 
Richard, who's talking to us today? I grabbed a comment off of show 104, and that is the one we did with Michael Crump talking about uh, migrating from Windows Phone 7 to Windows Phone 8. And this particular comment comes from a fellow by the name of Mr. Lacey, I guess that's his pseudonym. And he says, Carl, at about 2730, so about a half hour into the show, you asked to confirm that WinPhone 8 includes speech synthesis, but not speech recognition. Right. On the assumption that it'd be too processor intensive. Yeah. Totally fair. Uh, as an alternative, you say that it'd be good if it was possible to do this via an external service, but assume that it'd probably be a lot of work. Michael then confirms that this would take some jumping through hoops. Mm-hmm. And this is wrong. Yeah, nice. Own 8 includes the ability to both synthesize speech, so TTS, text-to-speech, and recognize spoken words, STT, speech-to-text. And they're both really simple. There are two options for text recognition. First, you can capture free-form text spoken into the microphone. This does not require a network connection as the recognition is done on a Microsoft server. This is still very simple and free to developers. Of course, data costs apply. Right. you are calling out over the web and back again. Sure. Or, second option, you can specify a set of voice commands. And these can be recognized within an app without the need for a network connection. These can also be used to launch the app as well. Although, when used to launch an app, it does require a network connection. Yeah. And he provides an MSDN link, which, of course, we'll include on the show notes, uh, to show you how to do that. And I looked at his documentation, and indeed he is right. You can create, you can use dictation grammars, um, so you can dictate uh, to, and, and it's all handled on the client. I just wonder if, you know, I haven't played with it, so I don't know how good it is, but wow, I, I was totally wrong. I didn't know that was there. And I, it, it, it's interesting because I went searching for it and I could not find it. Yeah. It's one yeah. you know, I've generally struggled with the phone documentation. It's not that good. Well, you know, I, clearly it was me. Uh, you know, I, I could, it was right there. I should have seen it. You yeah. did find it. Yeah. I did. I did go to his link and I found it. Great. Yeah. I have not used it, so don't know, but. Well, the one thing I've done with the text-to-speech, speech-to-text thing with a Phone 8 is if you have a Bluetooth configuration set up on your car, right. when you get a text message, it'll actually call into the car system. And you'll hear it say, hey, you have a text message so-so. Should I read it? Right. And you say, read it, and then it reads it to you. Pretty and then cool. you can reply. You can actually say your text message back, and then it'll read back what it thought you said. You can correct it and actually send the text message You know, I thought that was cool for two days. Yeah. And then it got really freaking annoying. Well, as long as the text-to-speech works, or the speech-to-text works well. It does, but... Correcting stuff over and over again is All right, so you remember, Josh, we were in the car today, and I'm in the middle of, like, you know, reading something, and we're all interested in it, and all of a sudden, beep, incoming text from blah, 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 you can say ignore or read it. Read it. And the guy says... Okay. <laughs> you can say repeat or I'm done. And he says, I'm done. And Richard says from the back, hey, you should just say repeat and blah. You can, and this says, okay. <laughs> you can say repeat or, right? So just know. not as fast as people. It's just not as fast as you think. Yeah. But it is pretty cool. It is cool. Do that. Yep. 
I just wish there was a kill switch. So, Mr. Lacey, a tablet show mug is on its way to you. We'll somehow get a hold of you to get it out to you. And if you'd like a tablet show mug, just write a comment on the website at thetabletshow.com or on any of our shiny new mobile apps for the tablet show. Yes, the tablet show has mobile apps now. Indeed it does. iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. Yep. We have apps for all of them. If you just go to the site on that kind of device, it'll show you how to download them. And uh, those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises, who'd love to build you an app. Just go to diatomenterprises.com. And with that, let us introduce our esteemed guest today, live here in Galway. It's John Breslin. John is an educator, entrepreneur, and engineer. He is an engineering and informatics lecturer at the National University of Ireland, Galway, and a social semantic web researcher at the Insight Center for Data Analytics. He is co-founder of Boards.ie, Ireland's largest discussion forum, which began life as a computer games forum that John set up in 1998. He's also co-founder of Adverts.ie, a classified ad site, and Stream Glider Incorporated, a real-time streaming newsreader app. He also runs the Technology Voice website and hosts the monthly Technology Voice podcast covering emerging technology trends in Ireland and around the world. Please give a warm welcome to John Breslin. Thank you, everyone. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. Thanks, Carol. Thanks, Rich. Nice to meet you, sir. So, uh, old guy like here we are in front in front of a bunch of students, yeah. and we're all old guys. Web at 1998 was not the same web. That's yeah. when Netscape 2.1 was new and fancy. Yeah. Well, my first website I think was 1995, and um, it was pretty basic. It was a HTML website I did for our, one of our uh, departments in the university, and uh, we've come a long way since then. For but, sure, uh, for sure, have yeah. That was I, even that was even five years into the web. So, uh, <laughs> what I was doing then was probably advanced. <laughs> funny we're still using a lot of the same ideas of you know breaks and horizontal rules and things like that i i added some today i um i was writing a, a blog post on technology voice which is the site you mentioned and uh basically it's a it's a list of um ireland's technology women mm. and uh i was putting in a sponsored ad in there and i used a couple of hrs horizontal rules to to <laughs> yeah yeah That's but no more school. marquee tags right oh the marquee tag so for those who don't know we had these horrible things called marquee tags that w they they were these side scrolling you know adverts like marquees and they were horrible you they were these the cheesy css cheesy 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 i registered a domain back in 95 g.com guh.com guh 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 being the sound you make when you fall on your face <laughs> and it's a three-letter domain name of which there are none left. Yeah. So I get solicited almost every day to try and sell that domain. Funny how you have guh and I have pwop, which is wow. the sound of a forehead slap. Yeah. Both about face planting. Yeah, we both think the same way. I don't know. But I was telling Carl today, I have a mail proxy that handles by my email because I get about six million spam a month to guh.com. Mm. Okay, so you're obviously someone who has started tinkering with HTML and seen it grow and grow and grow. Tell us just briefly how big your biggest web project is in terms of scale. Um, I suppose the biggest projects I've been involved in is, is Boards.ie, which is a community forum. Um, so Dash has about two, two, two and a quarter million users a month. Um, and about 30 million page views. Now, wow. That, that's, um, 
Um, that's probably the biggest one I, I've been involved in in the past. So it's got, got a couple of servers, um, you know, database and web servers. And, um, you know, at the moment I'm a, I'm a non-executive director of the company, so I'm not involved, you know, hands on right. at the moment, but it's, uh, it's still growing. And, 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 and is it in a data center somewhere? Is it in the cloud? What's, where's it? Yeah, it's, in a, it's in a data center and, um, not in the cloud yet, but, um, you know, these things changes. Yeah. As you evolve, so. Wow. And I know you're not involved in day-to-day anymore, but have you have got any sense of how much of the traffic is now mobile versus just traditional desktop web? Um, yeah, you know, obviously everything's shifting towards mobile. So Boars.ie, um, we have um, basically a mobile-friendly site. So we haven't, we've toyed with apps in the past, but we haven't um, really gone that route because it's a forum website and you can do most of the stuff you need to do through the browser. On the other hand, we have um, a spin-off company, which is called Adverse.ie, Mm-hmm. That is increasingly mobile. So, you know, I think that's a, a case where you can imagine buying and selling stuff. It's, it's much easier to do it through an app. So, you know, selecting what area you're in, selecting uh, kind of prices and entering a quick description, also entering photographs. Right. That stuff is more geared towards an app, I think, rather than, than, than a forum. So did boards IE start with off the shelf software? Boards I started, um, so you mentioned it was 1998 when, when I kicked it off, and that was as a gaming forum. And uh, it was using a Perl script uh, called Matt's WWW Board. So, a very um, <laughs> cool sounding name okay. for a, you know, a functional piece of software. So, basically, um, um, it was a threaded discussion forum script yeah. that had limited, um, I suppose, room for extension. So, what happened was, you know, it was a gaming forum, so we, we were playing the computer game Quake, yeah. and a lot of people were um, talking about the game on, on this forum, and gradually more and more people started to talk, and the, the, the scripts that we had became pretty unusable after a while, because yeah. um, there was no archiving or pagination system in it, mm. and these threads just kind of kept spooling down the page, so right. people had to kind of hack it to do a little more than I was doing it. Um, no pagination. So one thread could have taken, you know, Yeah, but also the list a of threads time just went to on, and on and on and on and on. Oh, so yeah. Eventually, I kind of wrote a change to it that made it maybe group stuff by um, by month. And then eventually, I changed it to by week. And oh. So it, it just became totally useful. And then people want to talk about more than just computer games. So did you write the Perl script initially, or you said, do you... So I, I took this off-the-shelf Perl script, and then I was unrecognizable Got it. by the time I added in all these changes and archiving and stuff. Perl, Perl's barely recognizable when you start with it. Yeah, it's really a write-only write only language, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but no, it's, it's it looks like a cartoon character swearing. <laughs> <laughs> Once you start adding these uh, regular expressions, it, it does start to look like that. Yeah. But it, it served its function, and uh, it, it worked very well. And by that stage, I think um, online bulletin boards became a lot more popular. But also, um, people just didn't want to talk about one topic anymore. They want to talk about other things. So gamers were happy to talk about computer games, but then they want to talk about TV or uh, what they did in their free time or even sports and uh, operating systems and so on. So around that time, these other forum softwares came out. I think the, the one we started using was called the Ultimate Bulletin Board. UBBS. UBB. Yep. You yeah. remember it. Um, I think Robert Scoble tried to get me running that at one course. time. Yeah, that, that was a big one at the time. Yeah. That was also in Perl. So I would have written some kind of importer scripts to take all the content from the www board to the uh, to the ultimate. So board. you say you tried? Did you not? No, I I, I, I did, and we, we we migrated, and then at that stage we had about five forums. Um, yeah, which again people want to talk about more stuff. So what we did um, was we we created a. Um, uh, I think it was called a feedback forum or a health forum. And basically we said, well, here's the areas we have. What are, what are the topics you want to talk about? Mm. What are the functionalities you want to have? So 
It was almost, um, I suppose, Web 2.0 in terms of this iterative changes to the website. Yeah. But I suppose before, you know, 2000, 2002, whenever Web 2.0 kind of mm. came into being a used term. And it was through that forum, I suppose, through the forum they were using that we actually got feedback in terms of functionality and what are areas people wanted to talk about. And so this grew from a mere gaming discussion board into a anything goes discussion board. Yeah, absolutely. And it's you know it's fascinating. Even though I'm not involved on a day to day basis, when I hear the stories of what's happened, like people who got married to the website, wow, who've, uh, <laughs> formed clubs or soccer clubs or drama clubs, people who've uh, how's that yeah, work? How does that work? Well, exactly. you know, online reflects our offline lives. So <laughs> maybe no, we, we have a lot of offline events to do with boards. So we've meetups, uh, going out for beers, boards, beers, as they're called. And um, so, you know, through one of those events, the most amazing story I heard was somebody who lost their wedding ring on a beach and they posted on the forum and I'm not sure somebody found it and they posted it. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So, and, you know. And, and so was it geographically central? Um, it was. Boards to begin with? Yeah. No, it wasn't. It was, because this community of gamers were all over Ireland, it was quite uh, diffuse, I suppose. Um, but, you know, again, people are um, are local as well, so you know, sure. we have regional areas where yeah. people talk about very specific stuff. So, so UBBS got you how far? Um, UBB a few years. Um, by that stage, some some better software uh, systems were coming out, and when we because you're still writing flat files on the back end, right? Uh, UBB was yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I guess, I, I don't know, was it so much the limitation with the flat files or was it the, the fact that the other software that came out looks better? Um, but probably if it wasn't one, it would have been the other yeah. after a while. So we moved to a system called vBulletin. And uh, vBulletin is still the software we actually run to this day. Oh. So um, that's proved to be very good. We've um, stripped out a lot of stuff that was not essential. Yeah. We've also coded a lot of stuff to, I suppose, suit the nature of board. So yeah. I, I think there's very few discussion forums that are actually... Um, Nation specific, yeah, or tend to be very topic specific. So right. you're, you're talking about games or anime or some uh, some car modification forum. Yeah, whereas boards is very much a national um, forum, and obviously there's a tech section and there's a, a sports section, but it does really cater for everyone in Ireland and, and, and abroad. So I think about two thirds of our people are from Ireland. And one third of our visitors are from us. Well, there's one thing I got to say about Ireland's cultural pride is just so high. Yeah, you, you deserve a round of applause for that. It's just great. Oh, guys. <laughs> yeah. But it's, yeah, it's not something you expect that you would naturally stay regional like this. I mean, you were, sounds like you were a social network before the word social network came along. Mm. Yeah. And actually, I suppose forums are, you know, we talk about social media, but forums were the original social media. Sure. Yeah, and we would have added some social network functionality in there, kind of friends lists and stuff. But um, I think maybe it wasn't it wasn't the right time, but also social networks have evolved from being a place where you gather friends to a place where you talk about topics of interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So people actually kind of form around those shared interests rather than just, you know, having a, a list of, a number of side or name with a list of friends. So obviously this journey has taught you many things. Some of the lessons that you've learned may or may not be applicable to people today who are, are, are embarking on such a journey, but a lot of them may be, you know, what was some, what are some of the lessons that are still applicable today? So I suppose the key one, and I, I kind of referred to earlier on was, was listening to the community. So I think you can go off and you can do your own thing. And you're, you're, you know, this is one you hear a lot about in terms of minimal, uh, viable products and so on. But, um, if you, if you're not listening to what the people want, then you might as well forget about it. And, and that was one of the things we, we introduced very quickly. I think that, uh, was part of our success. This kind of feedback forum where we said, um, you know, we're, we're willing to take on your ideas. Some of them we'll have a, a try of if they sound reasonable. Others that, 
um, maybe we might need a consensus to to go around. But I think that incorporating the user feedback as a key process within your system is 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 uh, was your with feedback always delivered in a positive manner? <laughs> Um, I think anyone who's read a discussion forum will know that uh, feedback is not always delivered in, in a positive yeah. manner. And Sometimes the most helpful feedback isn't in a positive because the people who are positive will generally want to. Yeah, be yeah, and you know, happy. F- I think I, th- I think you'll take on a sufficient amount of negative feedback and realize there's something seriously wrong. Yeah. But, um, for a big website, you will always try to make changes that won't be accepted. People, I think, are always very restric- resistant to change, mm. and. Um, You'll often get quite disheartened after putting a lot of work in something, and then uh, you know putting it in place where you think it's better, and yeah. you get this feedback saying, "Oh no, I liked it the old way." Right. And so um, you have to, uh, in some respects, you have to take uh, on board the feedback, but you also have to hopefully know what's the, the the greater good or the greater outcome. Yeah. So so are those are those changes that you made that could be personalization changes, you know, sort of, or or are they like serious uh, architectural changes that? Uh, it could be anything. So in forums, I think it's fair to say that there wasn't really a lot of personalization in, in the system. Yeah. And what we tried to do was we tried to really bring in this notion of subscribe forums. So I suppose it, like you follow people on Twitter or you like or, or you know, uh, follow different pages on, on our groups on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, we introduced uh, subscribe forums very, very early on. So we did a lot of tinkering with menus. And again, because boards is such a kind of a broad website, one of the first things we did was we had a, a very... Um, comprehensive drop down menu at the top. So, so one of the issues we had was you've got, you know, 500 forums. Now we've got a thousand forums. How do you categorize them? How do you let people actually find where, where to go? Right. Them? Sure. So we went for a kind of a, a Yahoo open directory slash DMODs approach where we said, let's categorize them under things like arts and um, other people have thought about how to categorize stuff. Before. Sure. So let's try and borrow from their categories. So we got, went for arts and business and uh, science and technology. And then within those, you've got kind of pop out menus. And, but as well as that, you want to have this kind of personalized look. So you want kind of a subscribed area where you show people, um, what they're into and also what, what, what new stuff has happened since they were there last. Sure. And were you ever, um, you know, it, sort of the, would you like fries with that model, which is sort of, you know, if you're interested in this, you might also be interested in these sort um, of we, subjects we, or. We, we didn't really do any, um, or you know, not yet, I suppose we, we should say, um, I should say. Um, we, we, we didn't do any sort of uh, similarity matching between topics. Well, you're not really trying to sell anything any, either. You know, if somebody's interested in something, they're probably just interested in that topic. Yeah, but it is interesting because you, you can even look at a, at a person level. So, you know, I'm also a researcher and one of our uh, research groups in the Insight Center works on that kind of topic of how to suggest and recommend stuff to you if, you if you're browsing a forum. So you can see pretty quickly... Um, similar forums to what you're looking at. You can also see by a particular person what areas they're talking in. So if you find somebody who's really interesting to you and is talking about stuff you're interested in, you can, uh, through this system, see at a glance what other areas they're talking in. What's the revenue model? How do you make a living from boards? Um, so boards makes its uh, money through ads. And it's all, um, um, it, it, it's mainly ads on the website. Right. But there is also um, a second stream which are called talk to forums. So talk to forums, basically, again, thinking of boards as being a, a national discussion area, we allow companies to have their own hosted forum on boards. And hmm. by hosted, we mean that you can have an area on boards, but you can't really control fully what's going on in there. Like You, you don't moderate it. We have some uh, third-party moderators who help out there. So it might be based on a particular company's product then? It could be a company or it could be a like a utility uh, yeah. company. So say the electricity supply companies. Or you could be uh, like an electronics company. Got it. Um, and I got to mention primarily Irish companies. 
primarily Irish, yeah, but we would have, um, I suppose, multinationals who would be operating in Ireland. So, right. Complex, who are a computer supplier, they have operations around Europe and they would have a forum on there. Yeah, I can only imagine one reason to go to a forum about a product. That's a complaint. It's a complaint, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but also to find out how you use it. So, you know, like, some of our forums would be, well, okay, so for products, maybe, but you yeah. may also say, okay, I've got this audio video system. I really want maybe. to make the best use of it. Right. And, uh, yeah. or I've got this projector and I'm trying to figure out, how do I get different resolutions? So it may be to yeah. ask questions you can't find out through the manual. That's very true. I actually do a lot of searching for, you know, how to solve problems with products. And I usually wind up on forums. Yeah. yeah. Very true. How, how does a forum work on a phone? It Does it work? Um, there are a lot of forums employ a system called Tapatalk, which is kind of a plugin they add into the forum, and that makes it full uh, and friendly. You can, of course, do pretty straightforward stuff in terms of detecting what kind of device you're looking at, and then mm-hmm. render a, a different skin to that device. Um, but you know, the majority, I think, would would provide a mobile skin as pro- as opposed to having kind of a. You can launch the Tapatalk app as well and, and get to the forums that way, but I think most, most people go for mobile skins. Because when I think of a forum on a PC, I'm sort of browsing a lot of messages all at once, looking key for keywords and stuff, and maybe a lot of forums. Yeah. Not not so easy to do on a... Oh, I suppose you can think of it being quite similar to email in terms of the structure. Like you have a yeah. message, you've got a bunch of replies. Yeah. Um, I think the email apps still probably haven't cracked that fully yet in terms of how to display a, a thread of discussion. It's mainly because of the size, I suppose, of the yeah. phone. So the forums would, would um, suffer from that somewhat as well. The sheer size of it, yeah. And I think forums also tend to be more text-heavy than, say, a Facebook comment thread or you know, obviously a bunch of tweets can occupy a much smaller real estate on your phone. So forums where people go into a lot more detail and they explain uh, things in, in quite yeah. um, quite detailed manner um, would, would be more difficult to explain. I guess the question is how much vertical scrolling can you stand if you've got your tool like Tab Talk that's formatted it to a size that it can be read on a phone yeah. it's just long yeah it could be really long but is it you know it's only text it's not that big it's just you're gonna have to read and read and read and read and yeah, that's where Are summarization comes in like we, we've heard of summary the the kind of the new summarization tool from the uh the, U- the uk mm-hmm. uh, teenager um maybe a, a forum version of that would be useful mm. yeah that's really interesting and try and try and just pull up the key points and shorten it up i can imagine a url taking up the whole screen on a phone <laughs> you know <on> a message <laughs> Yeah, it could become unbearable. So, uh, do you have mobile a mobile version, uh, mobile apps, if you will, or um, so? Yeah, app? so so for adverts, which is the classified site, we have a a mobile app, which uh, we have a tablet version and and uh, and a phone version. Um, so uh, another company which I'm involved in is one called Streamglider. Uh, Streamglider, you mentioned earlier on, uh, Streamglider Incorporated, which you can imagine is, is a US company. So basically, that's um, a collaboration between myself and um, two. Uh, people I know in the US, one guy in Texas and one guy in California. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a real-time streaming newsreader uh, for, for the iPad. Mm. So that's been, a, I suppose, a different area. Okay, it's, it's, it's in the kind of the social space because we can display social media as well as news in there. But um, again, you're, you're designing for a totally different platform and um, yeah. maybe w- with, a, I suppose, an unknown community. I, I think it's fair to say in forums, you have an idea who your community is. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when I started off as, as a gamer, we knew here's the people here. Or when we created a TV and cable discussion forum, we knew here's a bunch of people who are going to be talking in there. Whereas when you're pushing out a, an app for um, a tablet device, you don't really know exactly who's going to be using it. Um, yeah. Apart from your friends. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think that's part of it. Like, you have that viral component of you want to push all your friends to be on it, too, so you can use it. But yeah. 
eventually in such a wide community, it's hard to connect to it. You yeah. don't want it to be too big. I just I'm really fascinated by this insular effect of, of Ireland, you know, wanting to just stick with each other and, and have that communication that way rather than, you know, why not go to Stack Exchange and, and uh, talk about a product there? Yeah, maybe it's um, a trusted thing mm-hmm. because, you know, I suppose people do still feel trusted in, in their community or maybe, um, you know, again, I suppose in a regional thing, especially for products, you are still getting a subset of the products that are available elsewhere. So right. you know, while we may have um, a Samsung TV um, or some other type, it still is probably a particular one that's targeted towards, say, the UK and Ireland because mm-hmm. of the regions and the electricity and so on. So there is still that, that local element. But I think also people may also trust locally for some reason. So they, they may value some of the opinions that have, that have come from people nearby them who've experienced the same situations as they have. You think it's the key part here is that .ie that says this is an I- a site in Ireland rather than .com where, I mean, most .coms I still think are American. Yeah, um, th- there's a certain amount of that. You know, .ie, I suppose, obviously resonates Irish. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's also, uh, you know, I, I suppose it also talks, talks Ireland, you know, whereas .com is more international. There is, there is also an effort to create a .irish top-level domain name, right. which is in process at the moment, which I think is probably more targeted towards the Irish diaspora abroad. But um, despite mm-hmm. the fact that, that um, Boards um, is a, obviously .ie domain, also I think people happen onto websites without really knowing where they are or what yeah. they're doing. So they find an answer. You mentioned earlier on that you find an answer on a forum. Yeah. You, you, you uh, tend to just go in there and you focus on the answer. I think a lot of people, you know, maybe some of the people in the room here know boards.ie as, as a website. But I would say quite a lot of them probably don't know they're there until they actually look up at the menu bar and sort right. of see, well, I went from Google onto here and now I'm within a forum. Yeah. So, um, in fact, because a lot of our people come from um, outside of Ireland as well as in Ireland, I think a lot of them just happen on true searches and relevant content. Is, is yeah, I'd be fascinated to see how many folks who just type in Boards IE to go directly there and how many are showing up through different search engines. Yeah. Um, it, 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 uh, that's a kind of a question that, you know, it's been around for a while in terms of how do people get to websites? Yep. You know, do they still type something into the Google search box or do they type it into the menu bar? And I'm feeling also, which is kind of related to uh, another part of our, our conversation, that that's also happening in apps. Sure. And oh, search yes. engines for apps. Yes. Well, I was thinking about the Irishness of what you've done here. Yeah. That going to an app would subtract from that. You lose the .ie. You know, now you're inside of an application that could say whatever you want it to say. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like, boards is a particular case because people refer to it as, as boards. It's a bit like our one of our property websites is called Daft. Sure. Right. People know when you say Daft that you're talking about the property website. So you can say it's, .ie or you can say boards. It's branded people, now. So, yeah, it's, it's gone past having yeah. to have the extension. It's like right. Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> this portion of the Tablet Show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight Controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems. All of these and more are available to you for immediate download at telerik.com slash free stuff. 
Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the tablet show. Can I ask the, uh, for a poll from the audience? Uh, how many of you have uh, aspirations of being entrepreneurs in the tech space? Raise your hand. Uh, okay, I'd say a good, what, 20, 20%? Yep, 20%. 20%? Do you have, um, John, do you have any uh, advice for the youngsters? So um, I suppose the, the key advice probably is um, getting a mentor. And, um, you know, if you're a student... Um, I think it's very difficult to know how to go about setting up a company or uh, how to get advice or who to go to or all the kind of legal and accounting stuff. So I was kind of fortunate when I set up boards because um, I played with a, a bunch of computer gamers and they all happened to have business experience. So they were actually running a company in Dublin at the time. And I was a student, so I was a postgrad student. And I think it's, uh, I wouldn't have had an idea of where to go or what to do in terms of setting up a company. Um, so I was fortunate and that, that, that these guys were there and they knew how to set up a company and they got all the accounting stuff and legal stuff sorted out. But, you know, a lot of people don't have that. So in the absence of having some kind of entrepreneurial society, which I'm trying to set up in our own university, yeah. actually, um, it's difficult to know where to go to for advice. So I think the first thing really is just to try and get a mentor on board. If you have some kind of idea, even just to bounce the idea off them, because, you know, sometimes the ideas you have, while they sound really cool, they're totally unrealizable. And then you've got some other ideas that you may have in your heads that are totally, you know, um, game changing. So it's no harm to, I think, bounce those off, off, off a mentor and somebody even, even from a different space than you're coming from. Uh, it's, it's no harm. There's somebody a, who steps outside of your world. There's a certain art form to having a good working relationship with a mentor, isn't there? I mean, you sort of have to, uh, you know, put your ego aside and, and sit down and learn from the, this person trying to, you know, you may have what you think uh, is a good mentor, but they may not want to share, you know, it's, it's a, can be, can be difficult or it can be really good. Yeah. And for both people, you know. I suppose the other thing is, you know, you don't have to have just one. So um, yeah. if, if it's not working out, you know, right. it may not always work out. Right. And um, you, know, you can try and go to a couple of us. Um, I would say that's that that that's a kind of a, a a key one. Um you know I suppose the other thing is a lot of people may not be able to complete all parts of the puzzle themselves. Yeah. So it may be good to look and see who, who can complement your your skills. Right. So if you're you have an idea you're a a techie with no business skills or no marketing skills or you're a, a business person who has a really great idea but needs someone to implement it. Right. Um you know by all means try and seek them out. Mm. Be relentless about asking dumb questions. Well, there, there is no such thing as a dumb question. Only the one there that are few, asked. But, uh, <laughs> I think software people especially are prone to, you know, we want to build it ourselves and we deep down want to believe, we get that engineering belief that if I build it, they will come. Yeah. That all that actually matters is build the thing. Good no, things will happen after that. Yeah. It's totally wrong. And it's yeah. the, same, the same thing on, on the web and with social networks and all these kind of great ideas, you know, you don't build them, they will come. You have to have some reason. So. Um, right for the apps you know uh, as someone who's um who's been in the space and has uh, an app that still hasn't got that large market share um the, the marketing is, is a huge part mm-hmm. but, um, I, i'm an engineer by 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 the boss i'm an electronics engineer but i do realize the importance of, of branding and uh the the marketing side of things so that, well, one of the first things i always do when i set up some kind of idea is look for the brands so you know i Bit like you and registering your domain names are Iran. Sure, I've had hundreds of domain names at various points in time, 
and um, I, I still I, do. <laughs> still do, yeah. And uh, I would look for the name, you know, and see. Well, does it exist as a .com? Is there a Twitter handle available for it? Is there the same Facebook handle available for it? If they're not available, can I get it? So, um, for example, for Streamglider, um, we managed to get the .com and the uh, Facebook page, and then found out the Twitter handle was taken by somebody else. Ugh. And thankfully, they have this um, trademark release policy. If you have a trademark for your company, you can actually get the Twitter handle release. So we. Had a trademark for Stream Glider. I can see you nodding. You're going to do this for some other ventures later on. Yep. <laughs> well, yeah. .NET Rocks. So somebody gave us the domain name for .NET Rocks. Okay. But and, still, uh, uh, we don't have a Twitter handle. Somebody's okay. squatting on it. Okay. Well, you have to get a trademark and then you'll be all set. We know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> At .NET Rocks, we're going to get you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, thankfully they have this uh, Twitter um, uh, trademark release policy. And if you, if you have a trademark, you can get your Twitter handle hmm. release. So I've done it on a couple of occasions, um, not just for companies, but also for um, other things like wow. projects. So it's pretty cool. But that's kind of a that's a whole side of, that an engineer typically doesn't do. Sure. And I think it's really important because if you have consistency across your brand, it just portrays a, a better picture. So even with boards.ie, one of the first things I did was I went and registered as many boards and means as I could. Yeah. Uh, boards.us, you'd be happy to hear. Um, boards. Uh, we don't use dot .us no, domains well, in the US. Maybe, yeah. maybe you're not so happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was again just part of the overall kind of trying to have that uh, uh, consistent brand. Yeah. Uh, I even managed to liberate boards on Twitter. Uh, yeah. The, the good handle there. So. Very good. But also sales, depending on the company, if you got direct selling, I think it's separate from marketing. Mm -hmm. And the finance side of stuff, too. You can see companies that have stumbled just because the way they do their accounting and yeah. how they manage their money breaks them. Yeah. And it's kind of a thing we don't really do so much in Ireland. But I know in the US they do this quite well. So, um, for example, you don't have any sales skills or any legal skills, but you maybe get some firm who is willing to take a very, very, very small equity share. Yep. In uh, in lieu of of fees, and um, that's a nice model because you know you, you very quickly get those things sorted out without having to actually pay up cash up front. Yeah, so let them take a small bet on you yeah. to do something that they're very good at and very quick at. Yeah, and uh, if it all works out well, then everybody benefits. Are apprenticeships common here? Um, yeah, we have we have um, internships. Also, the um, the government, you know, in in, in an effort to try and. I suppose help with with, with the uh, unemployment situation has uh, created a scheme where people can have unpaid apprenticeships for with, for companies mm. with the aim that they would first of all skill up, but also that after a certain amount of time they may be taken on by the companies. Yeah, but no apprenticeships will be will be common and uh, sure. And there's quite a battle over this whole paid versus unpaid apprenticeship. You know, it, it's yeah. and there's a real pushback against the unpaid one. It's kind of a trap. Yeah. Well, the biggest problem uh, employers in the U.S. face is lack of experience of uh, of potential hires. Yeah, they come they come out of college, they don't have any experience, and there's they're not hireable. Yeah, and so I suppose the problem is you're you're competing against everybody else's LinkedIn profile. Yeah. So if, uh, as as regards the unpaid versus paid, nobody knows on a LinkedIn profile which you did. They just right. see yeah. you worked for this amount of time at this company. And they say, oh, that guy's got the experience. That girl's got the experience. I need. Right. So it doesn't really matter to the third party for you obviously it's it's, it's a problem and mm. there are obviously talks about exploitation in terms of uh, companies getting this work for free but you know 
I think people have to make their own decisions about whether this is actually worth it for them. Sure. And I think part of this is the battle of the commitment of the company itself. You know, the main, I, my, my wife ran her own business for a long time and she would bring in uh, unpaid interns that were literally knocking on our door saying, I just want to work with you. But she realized there was a substantial overhead to having an intern around. You have to train them. And, you know, and they should insist on getting that value. The whole reason I'm here is to learn. Yeah. You can't just send them fetching coffee all the time. Yeah. Like, that's not fair to the intern. It doesn't get to the point. The point was to actually learn something. So, I think it's a real challenge there to demand that. And in some ways, if you're paid, now there's a commitment from the company to say, well, we better train you because we are paying you. Maybe a small wage, yeah. but at least it's a commitment. Yeah. And part of it may also be being very clear about the expectations at the beginning of yes. the So to explain that this is what you would like them to get out of it and this is what you kind of need from it. So I'd mm. say obviously that, that kind of fetching coffee is only really helping one side of that, uh, that yeah. equation. So it sounds like if you're going to get into the wild world of entrepreneurship uh, in the tech world, a very small percentage of your success is actually going to be your technical prowess. Uh, yeah, what percentage well, would you chalk it up to? Um, I'm only guessing uh, 5 to 10%. Because if you, if you look at a lot of the tech success stories, it's been about how acceptable something has been to the user. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think of the likes of Twitter and um, Jaiku, which was a another um, very similar microblogging platform that came out at the same time. Mm. And they one of them went for this, the, the kind of simple side of things and gradually introduced features, and the other went hell-bent for putting all the bells and whistles into it straight away. Right. And, of course, it just, you know, made one unusable, and the other was still... So, traction. so did you guys hear that? 5 to 10% of your success in the tech entrepreneurship is going to be your technical prowess. And the engineer's solution of build more features can actually be a trap too. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's the old story of VHS versus Betamax and uh, it's been repeated again and again, you know. So um I, I you know th- this is the mvp thing coming back again in terms of getting something out there mm. then getting the feedback and having that parallel channel where you get feedback on yeah. your products right to help that, you. you know we, we talk about marketing and sales but product yeah. management yeah people who are there to collect that feedback and make sure it gets rationalized into the product and, and we go back to your your number one piece of advice listen listening absolutely yeah um listen and change listen to your mentors and listen to your your community yeah. Are you a lean startup fan? Do you read uh, read Eric Ries? Um Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, de- definitely a fan. Um, I have the book. Um, I can't say I've implemented the methodology. Maybe my next uh, startup. Sure. <laughs> well, it, you know, and he sort of speaks to this accelerator model too. That rather than you having to hunt down the mentors, there's a collection of mentors in a location that are looking for entrepreneurs trying to create things. And this is pretty common in the U.S. I'm finding them in a few other countries now. I don't know if it's common in Ireland or not. Do they have uh, accelerators or incubator uh, well, infrastructure? There's a bunch of uh, accelerators and incubators. So I think that's one thing where Ireland has really been very proactive. And um, every uh, nearly every college or university in Ireland in Ireland will have its own incubator, but right. there's a bunch of uh, third-party accelerators and incubators in Ireland. So um, they may be part of a corporate effort. For example, Telefonica, which is a big telecoms company mm-hmm. in Spain, mm-hmm. they've established a number of incubators around Europe, and one of them is based in Dublin called Weira. Mm-hmm. Um, we have um, Dog Patch Labs, which you know from the US. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have obviously a, a big incubator in Dublin, and 
you get to see some of those guys when you're there. So a group of, of ambitious guys with good idea can sort of bid or compete to get a spot in these uh, accelerators? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And um, we also have a, a, a center in Dublin called the National Digital Research Center. Mm-hmm. And they, despite, I think the name might be might imply something else, but they are very much um, commercial uh, company focused. They have, a, I think, a launch pad where they have a whole bunch of companies applying and they accept uh, a select few to, to go on that. So um, you'll also see various universities setting up um, more accelerator incubator-like programs, which which would differ from the traditional incubators on campus. So in Trinity College, they have a thing called Launchbox, and they've taken a bunch of Trinity alumni who've really made it big in, in the commercial world. Mm-hmm. They have those as advisors to this. Um, they're called Trinity Angels, and they, they advise the companies on the program. And I think that's really something where the colleges and the universities should really make more use of is looking to see where are those alumni who've, uh, who are the CEOs of companies around the world and then trying to form a kind of a panel of them to help right. with these uh, university incubators. And the same for you know the college here in, in, in Galway. Um, you know, I think the advice is to go and find those 10 really successful people who've come through um, GMIT or have come through NUI Galway and uh, try and form an incubator with those as, as the, the mentor panel. This is the evolved higher education model now. You know, it's, this is, you know, we go back to the fifties and the sixties where largely there was government money funding the research out of the universities that was then made available to, to public corporations. And now for a while, corporations ran their own R and D, but it seems like, you know, there's such good ideas that come from universities and colleges, getting them out into the world. The, the incubator model seems to be the solution to that. Yeah. And, um, I think I think anybody in any university or in a college can contribute towards that. So whether you're mm-hmm. an undergrad student or a postgrad student or a staff member, there's no reason why you shouldn't uh, join together to try and make that idea happen. Um, I think Ireland probably is, is has caught up quite substantially in the past um, ten years in terms of research and collaborating with industry. Um, there's a there's a league of of countries that's published every year, which shows how uh, well each country in- integrates and and collaborates with industry. Um, Ireland is at the, I think it's something like the bottom of this list of 26 countries, but hmm. it's in the top 26 countries. Out of 190 or 200, depending on how you do your math around countries. Yeah, and it's been, it's, it's been pretty good to see that. So there's a game that I used to play with a bunch of my friends that uh, maybe some of you might want to do, your entrepreneurs, is uh, get together every week and um, try to come up with uh, an idea for a solution, you know? And just looking around, paying attention to the market, paying attention to what people are doing with their phones and with their whatever. Yeah, and we do this, right? We sit around at dinner and say, hey, you know, here's a good idea. And what's interesting is see how many of those get implemented, you know, in the future. And if you start seeing, you know, two months later, hey, there's an app that does what we thought about two months ago, you start seeing more and more of those and you get better at it, you might think about, you know, that that's that's a pretty good indicator that you're on to something. So you should be a mentor if you're coming up with these ideas. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. They're all but happening. I mean, it's an exercise in paying attention to the market, right? And paying attention to what people are doing, what they need. Yeah, and I suppose that kind of even gathering of, of ideas would be quite useful to those people who have a kind of a vague idea of what they want to do, but are not exactly sure which direction to go in. So sure. it's, a bit, it's a bit like the startup weekend model where people pitch their ideas on a Friday and they try and realize them by a Sunday. Yeah. Except, yeah, and, and you know, those people don't really have the fully formed idea on the first day, but yeah. it becomes reality by, 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 the, by the end of the weekend. Yeah. It's an interesting exercise because you don't even know have to have to know how to do it. You don't even have to do it yourself. Just just come up with the idea. Find out how many of them stick. Right. Part of the challenge, of course, 
ideas are relatively inexpensive. Yeah. Teams that can actually get stuff built costs a bit more. Yeah. So it's uh, certainly my experience working with different accelerators and stuff is finding great teams, guys that really know how to build stuff. You know, startup weekends are a lot of fun. You see a couple of those guys that the end of 48 hours, they've built a lot of code. Yeah. <laughs> got a lot of stuff done. It's, it's, that's, it may not be that good an idea, but boy, they executed on it well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have to. The pressure is pretty immense. Yeah. But, but, yeah, I suppose some of those people do have, you know, parts that are of that kind of idea or a semi-forum, I suppose, you know, they come into the weekend and they say, oh, I'm going to bring this kind of little bit here I've been thinking about for a while into here. Mm. But, um, it, it is so fascinating what they create. So you get back to that minimal viable product and the, and the customer iteration and, and Eric Reese's whole customer validated design where you want to sort of press this against the customer as quickly as possible, yeah. watch how they react. And you can imagine in the startup weekend model where they could actually get that kind of live feedback through a, a global audience watching them and contributing to their thing. Because I, I think most of them tend to be, okay, there obviously is kind of online coverage going on, but they probably are isolated in their rooms and they're working on this thing with their little teams. Sure. Whereas if you could actually have that kind of live streaming feedback in terms of, no, don't do that. This is a bit like your mob programming idea, yeah. which you referred yeah. to in another show. Um, maybe this kind of mob feedback to what you're actually building would be pretty <laughs> cool. You know, another model of this is the whole crowdsourcing part, the Kickstarters and the Indiegogos where once, if you've spent a weekend working on a good idea and got a sort of initial prototype to that, the idea that you make that into a video and throw it out to the world and essentially say, who's going to pay for this if we get up to this threshold whatever that bar is we'll build it it's exciting it's an interesting approach i don't know if you play with it with the crowdsourcing and funding i'm a total kickstarter addict i have all <laughs> I have kinds to. of weird stuff arriving at my house now really oh, uh, oh yeah can't help myself yeah um kickstarter it's it's kind of gradually starting to appear in europe because it hasn't really been operating in all sure. countries but you know I'm always fascinated by the, the cool products coming out of there. The last one I've been talking about is the Tile app, which kind of helps you find lost items. So it's a little small yep. yeah. one and a half centimeter square thing. You stick it onto your product and then it sends a Bluetooth low energy signal to your yeah. phone. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, you know, it, it's kind of cool. It only lasts for a year, but it's, it's, uh, it'd be a nice year, I think. To be it's a good year. Anywhere. It's a yeah. year of not losing your keys. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Where are my keys? It makes oh, it, I guess Kickstarter's yeah, been noise. US centric the whole yeah. time. I think they've just added Canada now. Yeah. But Indiegogo is broader. Yeah. And there are also in, in various countries, there are kind of local variations. Equivalents. So we have one here called fundish.ie, mm -hmm. which is mainly about creative and cultural projects, but still, um, you know, doing some great stuff. Well, and even if you don't want to necessarily contribute financially, just to know those projects are out there. Yeah. You know, I think that's really interesting. You get back to this regionalization that, that boards did so well. To have something specific to Ireland, yeah. that you can see what's going on and, and can participate, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, and a, a nice example of of, um, of a crowd-funded uh, project is, um, I think this is kind of a little bit region-specific because in Ireland, a lot of people still get their phone calls, uh, sorry, they still get their broadband through their phone line, through mm. their fixed line. Right. Mm -hmm. um, because the dial up? I'm sorry, did yeah. you say dial up? No, no, true, uh, yeah, true dial up, yeah, true, um, DSL, true kind DSL, of. DSL, yeah. Okay. Um, and I suppose the reason being that they're still, satellite broadband isn't really, there satellite yet. broadband is just not that good. You've got that lag and all the kind of problems yeah. there. Spatia, satellites are a long way away. They are. <laughs> <laughs> the fastest ones in the States are cable modems. Yeah. yeah. And we, we have uh, obviously cable and we have uh, fiber in, in the cities. Right. People right. who are out in, in the country, like myself, mm -hmm. have to rely on, on, on your phone line. Right. But um, a guy I know, he created basically a, a, a machine that sits between your phone line and your mobile phones at home. So 
um, what happens is if you're abroad, it's a bit like the Slingbox, you know, the Slingbox, right. which sure. allows you to watch TV abroad. Yeah. You can basically use an app on your phone to make calls through your landline. Right. And because you're paying for this landline anyway, yep. uh, you're getting free calls through that. So you're on Wi-Fi somewhere. It's dialing into your, uh, this little box, which is connected to your phone line and making the calls through that. And that's, I think that's kind of a regional box that'll work pretty well here because of the fact that everyone has these, or a lot of people have landlines anyway. Right. Well, just as an aside, one of the, the more addictive emotive, uh, um, Kickstarter things that Richard and I have bought was an emotive headset, E-M-O-T-I-V. Do you know these? Okay. So what it is, it's a headband that, uh, hooks up to different places on your head and it reads your brain waves and that translates that into a .NET event. <laughs> yeah. So you can. And so essentially what you do is you train it by first concentrating on something and it doesn't matter what you concentrate on, whatever you think of. And then it essentially remembers those, that brainwave pattern uh, yeah. and associates that with data. And then you say, okay, now try to do that again. And when you match that pattern, Boom, it fires an event. And so, and it tell, and you name the pattern, right? So you can essentially say, when I think of this, this happens. <laughs> and so, yeah, you can think. It's a bit like, um, if this, then that for the brain. Exactly. Yeah, you think of snow and an event happens called snow. Yeah. It's pretty good scary. Weather. Can you think of good weather and will that happen? Think of whatever, you, yeah, whatever, however you want to train it. It's the, uh, think of left and the arrow moves left. You know, think of the, think of your name and your name appears on the screen. So uh, who, need, who needs self-driving cars? You can just think which direction. That's right. It's cool. It's pretty cool. Yep. Higher consequences to losing concentration. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Fun stuff. We have a question from the audience. Hi, John. Um, I'm interested in the, the 5%. Is everything delegated off to this third-party software? Or have you some interesting solutions for, because um, you have a certain degree of scale, so what type of databases, any uh, rules engines, what what sort of technologies have you looked at? or, or, or do you, do you Sorry, for, for the 5%? For the, the 5% technical prowess. Oh, um, is uh, it all delegated offer? Is it I, basic? I, I don't think it's, it's that, um, one particular set of technologies is, or should be, you know, that you should have kind of a, a split of technologies within that 5%. I'm just saying in terms of the effort that it's actually the, you know, the, the non-technical stuff that can actually get you to where you need to go. So you can create the coolest, um, products ever and that nobody will ever see. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm saying that actually a lot of the time, may need to be spent in terms of things like um, positioning it. So if you're thinking of, of um, for example, an app store, and you're trying to figure out how to get attention for, for your app, a, a lot of the effort is in terms of, you know, what category should I be in, what kind of keywords do I use, um, what, what's the name that I should be using for the system, um, and then how do I kind of tell my friends about it, how do I get them interested in telling their friends about it. Or the right app to build in the first place and the timing of it. Well, and also pricing it correctly. Uh, advertising it correctly, finding the right marketplace for it. Like, I'm seeing how saturated it is out there because, you know, you, you, you'll find people writing apps and, and I see it again and again. People say, I've got this really cool idea and they tell it to me and I say, okay, let me see what else is out there. And I find four or five apps doing exactly the same thing. Right. And I say, well, what are you going to do now that's a little bit different from this one? Right. So, um, it, it's the, I think it's kind of the isolation problem in terms of not seeing what's kind of going on around. The other way I've described the issue you're talking about is to have 
the engineers realize that the effort that goes into marketing and the value that it has and the effort that goes into financing and the value that it has is at least equal to the effort and time and skill that, that goes into engineering. Sure. So um, you have all of those people in play. You don't have a company. And if you're an entrepreneur, that means you're pretty much going it alone or with a partner. So you make got to make sure that your partner or partners balance out those missing parts of... of uh, of, of what you lack. Yeah, I think it's fair to say, and I'm an engineer, so I can say this, that most tech people don't have um, the marketing and, and business skills that perhaps they could do it. Um, so I've never taken a marketing course. I think the nearest I've got is, I read a book called Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead, which is a fun little book which uh, tells you how the, the Grateful Dead achieve success through... Um, yeah, just take drugs, give them away, and be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but... You know, it, it, it's, it's a huge part. And um, as I say, if you don't know where you should be and you, you don't know what your audience thinks, um, then all that technical effort is, is wasted. So, you know, 5% five, 5 is a bit of a throwaway figure in terms of the amount of effort yeah. required. But it's, it's, it's just to, to give you the idea that it's not the most important thing. I guess um, I was asking more about uh, what is that 5% or is there anything interesting to on, on a technical level? Uh, I, I think it really depends on what type of app you're trying to build. So... You know, if, if you gave me a kind of a description or what, what kind of software system you're trying to build. Like boards at the moment basically have, is it 30 million um, views? Page views. Yeah, so, so th there's a variety of skills in there you need. So obviously for a kind of big website, you need to know, it's, it's going to have some kind of database. And uh, whether you're using some SQL or NoSQL or whatever, you obviously have to have those skills in there. You've got the, the web people to, you know, know how to uh, get the web servers and stuff running. But then you also have the UI people. And I think the UI is, again, a very overlooked um, function, which is hugely important for, for, for the web and for, and for apps. So, you know, if, if I was trying to say an area to, to look at in terms of where, where there's a huge need, it's, it's definitely user interfaces and not just being able to lay something out, being able to know how, how different uh, things can be optimized. The skill set also evolves with the age of the app and the number of users. Like, yeah. I don't imagine the database scaling mattered all that much for the first 5,000 users, but yeah. as it got bigger, that becomes a big deal. Yeah, and, and the new term, which you may have heard coming out recently, is, is the growth hacker. So a growth hacker is a person that you say, uh, I've got this really cool thing, but I don't know how to get it out there and mm. make, make it grow. So their job, as you can imagine from the name, is to try and find... They're, they're part evangelists, part marketer, parish, uh, social networker, mm. and that they can figure out how to get your thing to the right audiences. Yeah, bigger. All right, we have another question from the audience. Hi, John. Um, just wondering, were you ever worried about uh, someone beating you, basically, to boards.ie, or maybe someone with basically more backing or money hearing about the products you were trying to design and getting there first, really? Um, yeah, and uh, I don't know if we were ever that worried for boards because in some respects we kind of, we didn't really know where it was going to lead to eventually. You know, we, we, we sort of knew we had this cool idea, we knew we, we needed to make it bigger than just a great gaming forum. But I don't think we envisaged that it would be getting, um, you know, 60% of the, the, the population visiting it at any one time. So, yeah. um, I, I suppose we, we definitely looked at, at competitors along the way and eyed them up and, um, for various reasons, they, they disappear is not true, uh, <laughs> deliberate targeting. But you, you, know, you have to be aware, I suppose, of the stuff that's going on because even just to try and figure out what's cool and what you should be implementing if they've, if they've done something, um, it's, it's, it's hugely important. I mean, a variation on that question would be, why hasn't Facebook wiped it out? Um, I think it's just because of the fact, well, for, obviously, Facebook is a closed garden still. 
So there's very sure. little of the content actually makes it onto the, the public web in terms of being searchable. Mm. So, you know, very few profiles would make all their content searchable. So it's hard to find stuff on Facebook apart from maybe some group pages sure. or, or uh, product pages and, and profiles that are open. Um, whereas the content in forums still tends to be mostly open and it's it's mainly, I suppose, keywords that are, that are popping up. So Plus it's targeted questions and answers, whereas Facebook is mostly crap. Right? <laughs> Pictures of food. Yeah. Dinner. Ah, heaven. Oh, you, you, like. I, I think everyone knows you get a lot of nonsense on forums as well. But when there is a serious discussion going on, the answers tend to be uh, quite detailed and yeah. they will um, help. Yeah, I agree. Another question. Um, John, I'm just wondering, uh, on boards, uh, people are using an alias, so you're not actually aware who the person is, who's giving the advice. How worried ab are you about people being able to infer who that person is based on the information that they're giving? Do you think um, it's a problem? Troll protection? Yeah, I haven't thought of from the other side in terms of being worried about the people being identified. Um, I, I suppose the only occasions when that would be a problem would be if they were, for example, even personal issues forum, and people do talk about quite sensitive um, uh, items on that. So I could imagine being able to infer who somebody is would be um, problematic for that person. Whereas for most of the conversations that go on about somebody's interest in a particular football team or um, some kind of technology subject, it wouldn't be such a big issue. And even if they were found out, I don't think anybody would have such a problem um, being identified with that kind of content. But it's still quite difficult to infer who somebody is unless they explicitly re reveal some information. So, you know, there is there are some advanced methods where you can try and detect based on the text language people are using and um, having a, a corpus of data from somewhere else mm. in terms of matching people up across um, services to say, well, this person is probably this person here because they're using the same kind of text. But it's not in widespread use, I suppose, yet. So it probably only would be some uh, security agency somewhere that might be able, be able to do that, do that kind of stuff at the moment. Um, NSA. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it just slipped out. Yeah, what's, what's wrong with you? Um, <laughs> Sorry. So um, I suppose other people... I'm trying to think of where, where that would be a problem. Like If it starts getting legal and um, people are saying things they shouldn't be doing, then obviously it, it's an issue... Um, for them, but they shouldn't be saying that in the first place. Yeah, I, I just recently came across an instance where I met somebody in person. Um, I knew that they were one of three people. And then based on information that was posted on boards, I was able to identify them. But I was able to identify a lot more about them because of the fact that I could track what other posts they were given, and it was very personal information. Yeah. And how did you narrow it down to the three people? I'm just uh, out of a professional curiosity, wondering how you managed to do stuff this. they posted about it themselves. Actually, it, it was an interview situation, oh, and then okay. I was on the panel, so I actually knew the people who were being interviewed, and they had posted something about that particular interview. So they were oh, so it was their fault, really. They posted too much about <laughs> themselves. But it was, I suppose it was taken online data and then also yeah. taken, yeah. you know, real world data and together I was able to do it. Right. I'd always be worried 
that eventually machines will be able to do this and to be able yeah. to infer. Uh, like the common sense I've been giving, uh, common sense advice I've been giving out about uh, online forums and most social networks for the past 10 years since social networks came out is basically don't reveal anything that you wouldn't tell somebody just walking down the street. So right. you know, if you see somebody walking down the street, would you shout across kind of information about your interview that you had uh, that day? So I, I think it's probably the same kind of thing. And, and people that, you know, it, it, we, we know that people aren't aware that, that stuff that they post online is not only visible to a lot of people, but potentially is there for many, many years to come. So um, it's actually, this kind of steps back to where I think there needs to be better online education done in schools. Mm. And I agree. Uh, us who, who uh, miss out on that, because, you know, again, the internet is relatively a, a, a new phenomenon for people who want to have the opportunity. So a kind of a, a common sense uh, guide to how to use, use, use the internet would probably be, would be helpful there. You got to teach your kids to develop their physical personalities as well as their online personalities. Yeah, yeah. And showing the implications of what, when you post, let's imagine your phone number online. Yeah. Where yeah. can that potentially go to? Who's Who can see it now and at some point in the future? We should all volunteer in middle schools to talk to kids about this stuff. Hey folks, that's about all the time we have at the Tablet Show. One more hand for John Breslin. We'll see you next time on the Tablet Show! Tablet Show.